in order to be honest with yourself, you have to start by being aware, but then you actually have to consciously process the things that you're noticing about you and how people are experiencing you and begin to make sense of that in such a way that you can understand a developmental pattern going forward. Welcome to another episode of the ROI podcast presented by the Indiana University Kelly School of Business. I'm your host, Matt Martella. As you know, our show's mission is fairly simple. We want to help organizations to make better business decisions. So if this is your first time checking us out, we just want to welcome you to the Kelly family and offer you as many resources as possible. Be sure to check out our extensive library of previous episodes to help you gain some of the leadership experience you're after. And if you're wrestling with a leadership question and you just don't know what to do or you'd like some faculty advice from some of our experts, feel free to send us an email to ROIPod. That's R-O-I-P-O-D at I-U-P-U-Y While you're there, be sure to recommend a guest that you think would make a great person for us to interview and have a conversation with here on the show. So for all of us that are in management and we're looking to advance our careers and go to the next level, as you know on the show, for all those who've been listening for a while, that an organization is only as good as the leaders involved. And in order to better ourselves and better organizations as leaders, we have to take a look in the mirror and begin to instill change within our own leadership style, begin to instill change in in some of our own personal traits in order for us to be able to expect and help lead some of that change within our organization and culture. So on today's episode, we are in I at the IU Bloomington campus with senior lecturer of leadership and organizational behavior, Ray Luther, and the executive director of grad career services, Eric Johnson, who are both also co-directors of the MBA Leadership Academy. Gentlemen, just welcome to the podcast. So let's get into this conversation. I mean, obviously, as leaders, as individuals, it it does come back to at some point, we have to reflect and and take a a look at who's in the mirror as we lead our organizations, and especially as we demand some expectations within the organization. So from where you sit, I mean, what are some of these common misconceptions that leaders are portraying or or demanding? And and how can leaders start beginning to self-reflect? Yeah, I'll, I'll get it started. Um, I think it's uh, it's one of the most important and fundamental things a leader should do is figure out where they are on their own level of self-awareness. And the challenge is when we ask people, how self-aware are you? It's a little bit like Garrison Keillor joked about with Lake Wobegon, everybody's above average. So everyone thinks they're really self-aware. And the, ch- the, the challenge really is most people aren't. If I sat, sat a leader down and I said, what's your purpose? What's your vision? What are your values? The majority of leaders can't rattle those things off for me. If I say, what are your known patterns? How do you show up? How do you deal with anger? The majority may have a little bit of insight based upon a recent event, but they they haven't processed through observation. And so in order to build our self-awareness, it's not just about thinking deeply of who we are. That's a, that's a great start. But it really is, what's the, what's the observational data I can bring to the table, both from my own sense-making process and what I see, but also how other people actually experience me. Yeah, and actually, Ray and I talk a lot about this. The term we use is is generally not even self-awareness, it's self-honesty, which I think is an even deeper layer of the onion because you, in order to be honest with yourself, you have to start by being aware, but then you actually have to consciously process the things that you're noticing about you and how people are experiencing you and what you're good at and what you're not good at and where you have a positive impact and where you have a, neg- have a negative impact. And 
and begin to make sense of that in such a way that you can understand a developmental pattern going forward. And so we even work with people who, who are generally self-aware, but then refuse to admit some of their faults and negative tendencies. And so they're actually lying to themselves about the way that they come across with other people. So it's self-honesty ends up being a little bit more of the end goal with some of the work than we do. And it begins with self-awareness. So when you get into this self-honesty talk and as a leader starts to reflect, obviously because a lot of people, I mean, every great leader and most every leader is hungry to grow to some capacity that they, they want, they want more. And if they don't, they're probably lying to themselves as well. So what do you, you know, how can leaders start to embrace some of their own, um, their own identity, like you were saying, you know, overcome some of those lies and begin to accept, you know, who they are in order to begin some of that change. Like, what do you, what do you guys offer it for advice for that? Yeah, well, I, I think the first thing we do is try to stay away from advice. So that's a, that's a good one to hit sure, on. Sure. <laughs> yeah. And we, we like to, we like to assume that people are creative, resourceful and whole on their own. So part of what we're trying to help guide uh, leaders to understand is how can we help them observe and we can serve as a mirror, we can serve as a sounding board, we can serve as a, a, a repertoire of, of questions and presence that helps them get there. Um, but we really want to be able to help them understand and identify their own identity, right? And identity is a really broad construct. You know, we may have multiple identities and the roles we play at home and the roles we play at work. So we're thinking of a, a broad identity. And the first thing is, do they, do they know that identity? Can they, as they, as they think about who they are, can they see with a level of clarity their own patterns of behaviors and their own assumptions, which may or may not be true, but are driving their behaviors like they are true? And so when we collect, when they collect feedback, we all have that little voice in our head, which is telling us, oh, that's good, that's bad. Well, how can I notice that internal feedback with my patterns, maybe related to my personality or my values and, and where something is either rewarded or violated based upon who I'm working with or the situation I'm working in? Or maybe if I feel energetic and I'm, I'm experiencing a certain emotion, I recognize that emotion, I deal with that emotion, whether it's a positive or negative emotion, and I, I look at it from the standpoint of why am I experiencing that situation in that way? All of that, all of that internal feedback, if you will, those are, there. we have filters, we put the data through, and as we make sense of that situation, it helps us understand our own identity helps me understand why I get so jazzed to coach other people, why I get so motivated to develop young leaders. Like those are filters for me that when I'm doing that work, I'm really energized and motivated. And that's part of who I see my, that's the role I see myself playing versus other work that I may be assigned or I may have to do. Maybe it doesn't bring the same level of energy. And how can I notice that in real time to say, yeah, that's not driving me quite as much it might be required, but maybe it's not part of my identity. So in the, the first step in getting to somebody to recognize their own identity is what are those filters? What are those biases that are influencing their sense-making process and driving the assumptions they may hold as they're working with whatever construct they happen to be working? Yeah, I completely agree. And it's, you hit on something I think that's really interesting. It's not even just the work that they're assigned, but sometimes the work that they want to convince themselves that they want to do. Identity is an, it's an interesting thing because we all have an actual identity and then we have this aspirational identity, right? Like I really want to be the strategic leader of this big organization, but at the end of the day, I have to accept I am not creative. Like I am not really destined to be a strategic leader. I can be a very effective tactical leader and I can have people I surround myself with who are creative. So there's this layer of like, 
getting at those hard truths about what really is true about me today versus what do I aspire to be? And is that even realistic for me to get to? So just an example of some of these filters would be personality. And I know there's a lot of debate about Myers-Briggs, Kiersey, all these different, and our personality. It, I begin with the basic assumption that everybody has a personality. And if they don't, they're probably, <laughs> this is probably not your podcast, right? <laughs> <laughs> but that, that personality comes with preferences. And so Ray and I have two different personalities, which means that we actually process information differently. We have preferences for types of work that are different. Ray tends to be more innovative and creative, and I tend to be a little better at thinking outside the box or maybe dealing with unstructured information. Um, and, and neither is better or worse. They're just different. And if I if I try to convince myself that I am more similar to Ray than I actually am, that's an aspirational identity. And that that's not self-honest. And it actually complicates not only my ability to make sense, but my ability to make a difference. And helping individuals, leaders especially, begin to sort of peel away who are you versus who are you trying to be and how do, how long would it take for us to get there is, I mean, it's a really fun part of the work. It is. And it also, so that links directly to a lot of the conversation on, on diversity of thought, right? On diversity of thinking style, on how do we bring different perspectives to the table? Because Eric's exactly right. We've worked together for years. We think and approach things differently. And that helps us be a stronger team because we can appreciate the strengths that both of us have. And we can also appreciate the things that we may not be able to see quite as clearly. Right. And there's a level of trust there that that starts to build and form. I think leaders are foolish if they think they need to play superwoman or superman. Right. I have to be good at everything. I have to. Well, no, you may be responsible for a lot of things. You may be accountable for a lot of things. That doesn't mean you need to need to mean that you need to be the one that does that. Right. That's when we get into practicing strategy as opposed to strategy. Right. Like if we're able to step back, see where we're strong see where we might be weak, see how we make sense of situations and invite others who have different sense-making processes onto the table in a way that's going to welcome them and, and build upon that. That can help not only strengthen our own sense of identity, but build out what we're trying to lead in the first place. When you guys, I mean, from where you guys sit, you obviously deal with a ton of different leaders from all different backgrounds and all different professions. You know, through your coaching journey, what are some of the biggest, uh, I guess, setbacks that a lot of leaders struggle with when they're trying to self-discover or reflect upon themselves? Like, what are some of the biggest strongholds or, or demons that they're facing in order to get to that? Who am I as an individual? Yeah. One of the ones that I see quite a bit is a lack of understanding of your reputation. And what I mean by that is how others experience you. So people may have gotten feedback from a 360 or understand some perspective from their boss, et cetera, but they, they don't always truly appreciate how others are experiencing how they show up because they may not be open to that feedback. They may not be processing that feedback and they may lack simple awareness of what do I even do with that? How do I make sense of that feedback? Because it may run in conflict to their own identity. And so what I see holds a lot of leaders back is a, a fear, a fear of what is that feedback? How might that invalidate something? And the interesting thing about it is others have that feedback, right? It's, it's their experience, which they're entitled to. And in that experience that they have, it's just sitting there. And we have a choice whether or not we want to know that, whether or not we want to try to understand that, whether or not we want to try to process that. And many of us choose not to even engage in it because of an emotional reaction that we may not be able to handle in an appropriate manner, right? 
how do we, how are we going to process that? And I think, unfortunately, it's, it's something that I love to try to work with leaders on in terms of not saying, oh, you have to hear this bad news, but oh, let's talk about how others experience you because that is going to directly impact your, your leadership ability, your level of influence, and how you're able to get things done. Yeah, I agree with that completely. I think in addition to that, one of the things that I see a lot is leaders' inability to let go of their own experience and accomplishments as they're trying to lead a new set of people in a new set of circumstances, facing a new set of challenges in an industry that has largely evolved. I think we talk a lot about sort of the advice monster, right? Leaders love to give advice. They love to tell people how to do things. And that advice always, I mean, almost always comes from, here's how I did it. And or that, here's how I think I did it. Oh, yeah, that's even bad. Here's how I here's how I recall. Here's how I remember yeah, doing it. Walking so uphill good, both man. ways. I was like, yeah, I was walking on water. It was awesome. Um, yeah, that's that's a good point. Um, and that you know the the thing is, as a and organizations they they do they they sort of create this environment right because people largely get promoted because of what they have done not necessarily because of how they might lead others in getting things done or who they are as a leader, even, you know, with the personality traits that they bring into it. It's exactly right, Matt. So it's, so, so we tell them, wow, you're really good at this. You should lead other people who need to do this. And then they get in these leadership roles and it, it becomes like, how do I create a recipe for success rather than saying, okay, I was successful because I was empowered. I was successful because I was able to think creatively. I was successful because I had to be resourceful. I need to create that environment for my people. And so letting go of my experience, letting go of my accomplishments, moving to more of a coaching mindset, recognizing that experience like personality is a filter for how I make meaning of a situation and how I choose to lead and that that can serve me well because knowledge is helpful but it can also work against me because my team, these are not this, these people aren't who I was. They aren't operating in the same context I was in. They aren't dealing with the same competitors. They and don't they, have, you didn't have Snapchat you, or any of it or yeah, anything, right? right? Yes. You're dealing with a whole, they're dealing with an entirely different construct yes. of reality. Yes. Right. And, and all of that has an influence on how we thought we did it when we solved it. Right. And, and most of the time, our, the stories we tell ourselves are rarely the entire set of facts that may inform a situation. The other thing that's interesting about advice when we talk about advice is and how leaders need to recognize that is I, I hear leaders say, yeah, I don't I don't have time for that coaching stuff. That takes a lot of time. <laughs> right. And instead, I'm just going to give them advice. I'm like, great. Did, did that advice influence what they're doing? Well, I, I don't know. I think so. So there's a lack of even checking in on, um, you know, well, did they take the moral of your story away? Well, I don't know. It was really clear. But if they didn't, that's their fault. Right, exactly. So we're, we're, we're in this place of saying, you know, I, I assume that leaders are operating from a place of, I want to have an influence. I want to do right. I want to develop my people. But it rarely comes from this place of based upon your advice and experience, that's going to be what it is. And so to the question you asked, Matt, which is, you know, hey, what might get in the way? That previous experience and that long dinosaur tail we have, man, that's heavy. And if you take a quick right turn, that dinosaur tail can knock a lot of things down, right? And the role you're being asked to step into is a new role, 
with new experiences, different time frame, different context. And if you can see and appreciate that for what it is and try to develop people from that perspective, it should at least change your approach or your mindset and how you may go do this. And, and you don't have to think about, boy, if I was once an awesome data analyst back in 1997, I don't always have to be that awesome data analyst as I move forward in any organization. I want to go back to one of the things you were saying earlier about this feedback. You know, as a leader, you know, when you're trying to, part of the discovery is what do, how are others perceiving me? Because I have my own internal dialogue of who I am, but then there's an also another public or whoever's outside of my internal dialogue of pretty much probably more, what I'm more real like or what the reality is. So in that, in that feedback of, you know, getting people around you, who do you get to come, like, who do you seek out as a leader to start being that voice to help you self-recognize? And then how do you invite the right people, not just any people, but how do you invite the right people into your own sphere to be able to help you kind of elevate yourself and be able to maybe even see more of who you really are to the public? Yeah. You know, my partner has a lot of wonderful, awesome feedback for me, and she's just spot on target half the time. I kid, I kid. I love you, babe. I, I would <laughs> you say. better apologize on air for that one. <laughs> you can get some feedback uh, it's, tonight. It's clear and direct. I will say that. I, what, what I would say, I think that's a phenomenal question because too often, and, and I get this from, I got this inspiration from Brene Brown. Brene Brown, who I love, and I swear one day I'm going to get a Brene Brown tattoo somewhere. I, I just, I think she's absolutely phenomenal at, at how she's thinking and the concept she's bringing to the table. But she says, you know, you, you need to be careful in terms of who you're, who you're taking feedback from and what feedback are you taking as you get this experience. Feedback's legitimate. We need to engage in it. But it doesn't necessarily make sense to take feedback from every editor on the sideline who may or may not have relevant perspective as you go about the work you're trying to do. So I think what's important is understanding, I want to understand how people experience me. I want to understand both those experiences from a positive and negative perspective because their experience, I think I have to honor that for what it is. And I want it to be people who I feel like I'm working with in a legitimate way where they're getting a chance to see and observe things that I bring to the table. So people that I have experience with, people that I work with that have known me for a long time, such as Eric and other partners here at the school. Um, people that may maybe I'm new to an experience with, but I'm working deeply with them and I'm trying to do good work, then I want to understand their perspective as well. Uh, we work a lot with students. Students' feedback is very important to me. How am I coming across to students and what are they taking away from our interactions together? Because I want those relationships to be positive and influential and effective, right? And so I think being conscious of where am I getting that feedback from and then, you know, being open to it in a way that says, you know, for as, as a leader, can I actually think about the people I'm trying to influence and the people who are influencing me and be able to share that feedback in a way that or receive that feedback, I should say, in a way that actually helps me understand myself better, be a little bit more self-honest and maybe recognize whether or not my identity, which I think I have, is actually coming coming to bear. So, and then one thing that's interesting is, like you said, people on the sidelines are giving their constant color commentating always. And I think a lot of times, you know, there is just bad advice because some people just have a chip on their shoulder and some individuals just have a grudge that they've been carrying. So how does, how do you filter through? I mean, because obviously there's going to be some negative feedback. You're going to, you're going to have to experience some negative feedback 
negativity about your own personality. But at the same time, there's some people who just want to hurt solely just to hurt because maybe they have their own issues inside. So how do you do leaders filter through what, what is valid and what is just totally out in left field or just there as just a way of saying it because I just, I just want to tell you you're bad. Well, I think, I think it's a great point and that does, that does happen. I mean, I think part of it is if you do curate the right set of people and there's a level of trust there, then the folks who are giving it to you won't, won't be trying to hurt you, right? So it's it's almost like that metaphor around the concentric circles, those you work the closest with, as Brene Brown also says, those who are in the arena wrestling with their own demons, like that group, because you know they're willing to do the work and they know the value of doing the work and how to frame things in such a way to help you do the work. So you 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 do weight that, those people that have greater experience with you where you have better relationships more and as you move further and further away from that core, I think you should weigh it less and less over time. And I think what you're looking for over time is trends. Um, I mean, you know, somebody who says, wow, you really suck at this thing. And it's the only time I've heard it. And it came from somebody I didn't know that well. And it felt like it might've been a little insidious. I, I mean, it, it will hurt and I will need to process that hurt. But if I'm not hearing that as a consistent trend, then it's probably not something I need to be addressing in the same way that I am, I am, you know, if I'm noticing consistently, people are saying, wow, you're not all that organized and it's coming up a lot then it, and it's coming up across multiple settings. So that trend thing is fairly important to me. And one of the things you have to get good at at leaders is almost channeling your inner dude, right? From the big Lebowski and just getting good at saying, well, that's just your opinion, man, and move on. And I think sometimes we internal, actually, here's what I'll say. Sometimes people internalize that and sometimes people get sort of chastised a little bit for dismissing that. But I, I, my opinion is the ability to say, that's just your opinion and move on is actually a strong leadership characteristic. And we should all have a little dude on our shoulders. Yeah, I would agree with that. As long as we're not ignoring something that might be, you know, getting in our way of actually understanding something. So I'm, I'm a big True. fan of the dude as well. I think um, there's, it, it's at least what I've seen online. I don't, I don't like the feedback culture that exists in general online where non-anonymous feedback runs rampant and everyone takes pot shots and you have purposeful trolls, et cetera. I think as we get into IRL, right, moving back into our real lives, as we think about the situation and, and if we say, boy, there's a person that I just, I don't even want to hear the feedback from them because I don't, uh, I think there's a deeper question there in terms of what's going on with that person and me. Is there some sort of relationship issue or dynamic that I need to explore as I'm, as I'm looking at that saying, well, I don't know if they have a valid opinion. Maybe not, but maybe there's something that's getting on our way that could be, if we, if we step back, if we look at a broader system, maybe it's getting there. Um, I do wholeheartedly agree with Eric. I don't, I, it's, it's, it's input, right? It's, it's feedback is input. It doesn't have to leave this overarching imprint. And I think uh, too often I've seen leaders get a little too hung up on, on trying to be universally liked, which may or may not be possible. It doesn't mean I can't understand how other people experience me. Right. If somebody's experiencing me in a way that they're not happy or not satisfied with, great, I can know that. But that's just a piece of data I can know. And what I choose to do with that now is something that I probably want to think about a little bit deeper level. All right. So as we wrap up, I want to go around the horn and I want to hear from you guys some of your best coaching advice that you either give or you have received in regards to self-observation as a leader for that self-improvement. Um 
Well, some of the, I'll, I'll tell you one of my favorite coaching questions, maybe a good way to address that. I've, I've not that, you know, in the principle of coaching, not every question is right for every person, but on this idea of self-observation, one of the things that's been really powerful is a question. Um, what is the feeling that you are trying not to feel right now? And I've noticed that really starts to get at the heart of why people will dismiss certain types of feedback, where we're struggling with the difference between identity and reputation, where someone is struggling to be honest with themselves and accept what seems to be going on, um, is starting to get into some of that. So, and part of, I think, a good habit around that, and I, I know this gets to be a little cliche, but I think it's extremely important, is to have an, have an active data collection process on yourself, which is, in my opinion, a good journal, electronic, paper. You can't self-observe without writing things down, without collecting the information and noticing things over time. And I have found that taking a few minutes to notice that question as part of a stronger journaling habit um, really does lead to some good self-discovery and good self-observation. And when they bring those answers to me, some great coaching conversations. I, uh, I love that part, part of the process as well. The, the actual observation, it's, it's great if you can actually collect that data, right? Like let's be scientists as we actually look at this. Let's, let's look at the data for what it is. And Matt, to answer your question, one of the best pieces of, uh, advice I've ever gotten from a coach, right? And so this was a coach mentor type is, you know, they say oftentimes, well, feelings aren't facts. Well, but they're data. Right. And we have thoughts and we have feelings and those thoughts and feelings lead to behaviors. And if we can examine our behaviors and we can look at it both from a rational and an emotional side and we can start to observe why we're experiencing those thoughts and those those feelings, if you will, which sometimes are taboo to talk about. Boy, that can give us a lot of insight into why we're showing up the way we're doing, why we're making sense of certain things in certain ways, why we're experiencing happiness or meaning or frustration, et cetera. And too often we ignore that emotional feeling side because it's too, quote unquote, soft. Well, actually, that's the hard stuff. And so I, I really think the more leaders lean into appreciating that part of their own humanity, the better they're going to be at their overall self-observation process, which means the better they're going to be at developing a foundation of self-awareness and then showing up as an effective, authentic leader. Again, Ray Luther and Eric Johnson, co-directors of the Kelly MBA Leadership Academy. Gentlemen, just want to thank you so much for spending time with us here on the ROI podcast. This has been another episode of the ROI podcast presented by the Indiana University Kelly School of Business. I'm your host, Matt Martella. Here on the show, our mission is to help organizations make better business decisions. We'll see you next week. We'll see you next week.